You're listening to the Church on the Move Roswell podcast. We hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and challenges you to take your next step with Jesus. Thanks for listening. Let's check it out. What a great joy it is to be here with this great church and the wonderful things that God is doing here. Thank you for the good introduction, Pastor Sean. I mean, that's uh, one of the better introductions I've had. There was one that was better, and that was there was no one there to introduce me, and I had to introduce myself. Amen. But it is a joy to be here. In this wonderful church, I was here over 21 years ago when you were in the church across the street. I wonder if there's anybody here that was here 21 years ago. Let me see your hand. It's a brand new church. But give them a good hand. Thank God. I'm really very, very moved today, and I want you to kind of tolerate me if I'm just a little bit melancholy. You see, my last birthday, last month, I turned 85 years of age. I've been preaching the gospel for 69 years. I started when I was 16 years of age, and in that time I preached over 30,000 messages. That's why I have an old horse voice. I've traveled all over the world, around the world. Matter of fact, right now I have 7 million community miles on American Airlines, just one airline. I've traveled over 7 million miles. I've been married to the same old gal for 59 years. Amen? I'd rather, I'd rather fight than switch. All right. And, of course, I'm very moved because I have a delightful joy of being here with Pastor Troy and Julie. What a joy to be here with them tonight. And I'm just so proud of how God has blessed this church in the time that I was here, and here I am now. Baby, you've come a long, long ways, ain't it? Come on, give the Lord a good clap offering for what he's done. A few years ago, matter of fact, on my uh, 80th birthday, we had a special gathering at our church. I was celebrating, I think, what was it, uh, 40 years of ministry, something like that. And so they had a special, no, it was my 80th birthday, I'm sorry, 80th birthday. So we had a big gathering. They invited special friends and pastors to come. They had a big celebration. They blessed us greatly. Sometime ago, somebody heard me preach a message, and I forgot all about it. In it, as an illustration, I said before I died, I, I would like to take that jet, that Concorde jet to L.A., from from uh, Phoenix, Arizona, to London, England. I'd forgotten all about it. So they surprised us that day. They gave us a ticket to fly to England on that Concorde jet that was the fastest plane, passenger plane in the world at that time. They kept us in the beautiful Ritz Hotel. Now, it kind of worried me because they only gave us a one-way ticket, and <laughs> I just wondered, you know, being a... We've been so long, if that was just a hint. What a wonderful time. When we came home, we flew to L.A. as I did every week at that time because 
we pastored the church in Phoenix and the Dream Center in L.A. as we started that. And Matthew, along with us, that was the beginning of something that God was doing great over there. So L.A. heard about that anniversary. They wanted to do something too. So when we arrived, they surprised us. They picked us up in front in a beautiful black limousine and said, get in. I said, where are we going? They said, don't ask any questions. They drove around the corner, and I said, but where are we going? They said, don't ask any questions. They pulled up in front of a, a hangar and said, get out. And I got out and said, where are we going? Well, we're going out to that jet helicopter. So my wife and I, they took us, put us on the jet helicopter. I said, where are we going? They said, don't ask any questions. We took off, and across the metropolis of L.A., we went. Miles and miles. Soon we came to the coastline of the Blue Pacific, and they kept going out until the, I could see no land. I thought to myself, they're going to bury me way out here in this Pacific. But then we began to circle, and there was a little island there, Catalina Island, and they landed on this beautiful little island. There was another smaller limousine there to pick us up, drove us around the beautiful island and took us to a little place for lunch, back in the, the limousine, back to the helicopter. As we went back to L.A. and we came to the beautiful coast of L.A., this time they banked and they flew up the coastline. When they got up to Santa Monica, they banked again. And the lady flying the helicopter said, if you'll just look down there, that's Beverly Hills. And if you look there, there's a mansion of Steven Spielberg. And what a mansion it was. I was impressed. We flew a bit further, and she said, if you look there, there's the mansion of the famous pinnace, Liberace's Palace. Wow. We flew a bit further and said, if you look down there, that's the Playboy Mansion. And, of course, I went like this. We kept on flying. And soon the helicopter just hovered in front of the beautiful Hollywood sign that is so iconic that you've seen. We hovered for a while and then it banked again and down through downtown LA, it flew between the massive skyscrapers and the dream center that is downtown. We landed on top of it. When we got off and went down the elevator 15 floors, there's that limousine. Now, I want to tell you, I'm not a limousine man. I'm embarrassed when they pick me up in a limousine. But my wife, she's different. Amen. She feels like she was created for the limousine. They put us in that limousine, took us back to where we live, and they said, be ready tonight at 6.30. We're having a little celebration at the church. When we got down, there was a hell, there was that limousine. Around the corner, we went a few blocks, and we came to the Angelus Temple, but they, they parked two blocks away. And I said, well, why are you stopping here on Hollywood Boulevard? They said, well, the traffic is so great, that's why we parked two blocks away. But when I got out and turned the corner, I knew why. There was a red carpet for two blocks, and on each side, there were Thousands of people lined up, and they had signs. 
we love you. Thank you so much. We're so glad that you are here. I'll finish the story just a little bit later in my message. But I'd like to say to everyone before I get into it that just some time ago on my 80th birthday, we gathered together in our church and I was commissioned by Southeastern University to write a book, a book about our life story, our memoirs. And so it's done. I only brought 30 with me because I'm by myself this time. My partner who travels with me has COVID, amen. And so he could not come. So, but I brought 30. The first there, I'd be glad to be back there with you to sign your book. And by the way, uh, if, if, if I'm a hugger, so after I'm going to sign the book and we'll give you a hug. Now, if you're not a hugger, buy the book and run because I'm going to tackle you right there on the floor <laughs> and give you a big old hug right there. All right. Let me tell you about this book. It's a story of where we started. By the way, I was born on an oil lease in Electra, Texas. My granddad was a pumper on the Wagner Ranch, the second largest ranch in America. My dad was an evangelist traveling throughout the country. At the age of 16, I started preaching the gospel across the land. This book is a story about how we raised our children. Darling, check a formula of Hillsong used to say, Pastor, how did you raise your kids? I want to know. God has blessed us with three really world changer kids. And I share with you the things that we use, the values that we had, that we drummed into our children's heart. I'm going to talk about three great revivals that we've seen in America that God raised up. They went up and then they went down. And I'm talking about the third move of God we're in right now and what will destroy us if we do not watch it. In this book, I think you're going to, as I talk about some of the greatest men that to you are legendary, but to me, they were my friends. I learned a lot about them. I want you all to be a part of it. John Maxwell called me the other day. It was 9 o'clock. I was getting ready to go to sleep. You know John Maxwell. Nobody has sold more books than him except Joyce Meyer. Amen. Thank God. Let's hear it for the ladies right now. I'm, I'm, as you know, I'm Joyce Meyer's pastor. We ordained her in our church, and uh, she's quite a gal. Uh, I love Joyce great. So she did beat John Maxwell. And he said, Pastor, I just called you. I don't read books through. I usually read the first chapter or so to say that I've read them. But he said, I started, I could not stop. And he spent 30 minutes just talking about and I thought, well, he was just encouraging me. But pastors began to call me, wanting to order the book. They said, John Maxwell, that's all he's talking about. So on the way out, I would be glad to be a part of this book. Have you ever heard somebody say, well, I'm a self-made man? When you look at Tommy Barnett, you are not looking at a self-made man. When you look at the man that is up here, you see a little bit of, Oral Roberts. You see, Oral Roberts is my friend. Every year he would fly out and spend a week with us. And in the daytime, you know, I did something very spiritual. We played golf. And then at night, we would get in the Word of God. Oral Roberts taught me the principle of sowing and reaping. 
And God has used that message in my life throughout the year. So when you see the men up here preaching today, you see a little bit of the impartation of Oral Roberts. When you see the men preaching here today, you see a little bit of Dr. Cho of Korea, who only a few months ago went to be with the Lord. I was on his board for well over 30, 40 years. And Dr. Cho pastored the greatest church in the world, over 700,000 people in one church, not a denomination, in one church, just like this is one church. He taught me things that only a man that God had blessed like this could teach me. He taught me the value of a big church, the impact it could have upon a city, that when that church spoke, the city would listen to them. So when you see the men you're looking at today, you see a little bit of, of Dr. Cho. When you see Tommy Barnett up here, you see a little bit of Herschel Barnett. He was my father. He taught me things that only a man could teach you who was a father. Things like integrity. He used to say, do right, son. And he'd always say, it is always right to do right. So I believe in the power of impartation. And so the message tonight is really not a message. It started out as just a little devotional. I was asked to speak to a group of leading pastors at a getaway, a retreat they had gotten away, and I gave this little talk. And Jensen Franklin was the first guy to say, would you please come and preach at my church? And I did. It was followed by Dr. Bishop Jakes, and it just went on and on, and it became one of the most popular impartations that I had. It's not a great message, but I feel like it's what you need today. I feel like if any time in history, we need encouragement, we need encouragement right now. It seems that nobody wants to keep going. People want to quit. People don't want to go back to work. America is a nation, in some cases, that have given up. I wanted to speak to you today on the subject of the honor of wanting to quit. I said the honor of wanting to quit. You say, Pastor, is there honor in wanting to quit? How many of you ladies have ever felt like taking the dishes from the cabinet and just throw them against the wall? I mean, grab the drapes and yank them down. Pour sand down the sink. Drown the husband in the bathtub, amen. Take the old remote control, throw it out the window, and never make a bed as long as you live. And all the women said, I believe I got a witness, amen. Hey, fellas, let me talk to you. I'll drive you to work some morning. How many of you ever think, said, I think I'll just keep driving? And on the way, I think I'll just stop by the office and punch out the boss. Leave a note to my wife that reads, find another one. I mean, trade your wife for a good old bird dog and just hunt and fish and play golf the rest of your life. Never work again, never shave. And all the men said, see, they're chicken. They're afraid to do it in front of them. 
If we have any pastors, how many of you pastors ever wanted to shoot the sound man? I mean, trip the music director as he walks across the platform. Turn up the air conditioning as high as you can do and just let the grandmas gripe, amen. Just get up one Sunday morning and say, you can have the whole mess. Never work again, never shave, never raise a budget as long as you live. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9. Here's the message. Let us not go weary in well-doing. For in due season you shall reap if you faint not. You see, if you've ever wanted to quit, you're in good company. The list of those who wanted to quit reads like the history of the Hall of Fame. Jeremiah the prophet wanted to quit. Matter of fact, for a while he did quit the ministry, got himself in a little cabin by the side of a creek and wanted to quit. But the Bible said that he began to read the scriptures and a fire began to burn within him. Abraham, who was a friend of God, when depression came, recession came, or the pandemic came, he wanted to quit. Peter, who walked on water, Peter, who when Jesus was being crucified, ran and hid. Peter, who denied the faith, denied the Lord, denied the church, even cursed God and desired to quit. Martin Luther called up St. Peter's Cathedral steps on his knees, saying, I shall not recant. I shall not recant. The St. Martin Luther, that when they said, if you keep preaching, the just shall live by faith, we're going to kill you. And he doubled up his fists and put it under their nose and said, I'll punch you in the snout. That's my kind of preacher right there, amen. And there's John the Baptist. The Bible said there was not a greater man in all the New Testament except for Jesus than John the Baptist. And yet waiting to be beheaded, he sent a runner to be sure that Jesus was the Son of God. And what about Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the pearl of great preachers, not even a high school education, built the greatest church in all of England. He suffered bouts of depression, and he wrote in his biography that he wanted to quit. Winston Churchill in the midst of the battle when Germany was dropping bombs upon England and people were hiding underground in subways, stood the mic and said, never turn back, never turn back. And yet Winston Churchill in his biographies writes that he had severe bouts of depression and he wanted to quit. In fact, all of the great men and women that I have known and I say to you that many of them that you look in now as legendary, like I would look at Spurgeon or D.L. Moody, who I did not know, but I read about. But I knew these men, and all of them have confessed to me there were times of weakness in their life that these great men of God wanted to quit. Needless to say, I am not a great man, but I too have wanted to quit. And so have you. And so has anybody that's ever done anything for God. 
And so tonight, I want to make four statements about quitting that could change your life. It might be well that you write them down. Here they go. Statement number one, wanting to quit is a sign of success because successful people are the only ones who quit, can quit because they have something to quit. Several years ago, I flew into a city. They picked me up to take me to the event where I was to speak. And all the way, we passed by what looked like a housing addition that had started but not finished. There was nothing but foundations with no houses. But in the corner, there was a house. You could tell, but it had burnt to the ground. And I decided that I'd rather be the house that had burned than the house that was never built. You see, one had served its purpose at least for a while, but the other had never fulfilled its purpose. And I have more respect for the person who fails than the person who never tried in the first place. Number one, wanting to quit is a sign of success. Statement number two, the more you have to, to quit, the more you have to quit, the more you want to quit. You see, the higher you go, the more frightening it becomes. And the more you want to quit, the higher you go, the lonelier it becomes. The more dangerous and the colder and the riskier it becomes. So statement number one, wanting to quit is a sign of success. Statement number two, the more you have to quit, the more you want to quit. The third one is my favorite. It is so good that I, it's my personal statement. Matter of fact, I don't think I'll give it to you because I'm, okay. Statement number three, now, I love this one. Think about it. Follow me closely. You can enjoy the luxury of wanting to quit if you know you're not going to quit. Isn't that good? Pastor Barnett, how do you know that you're not going to quit? Because I've never quit. Isn't that brilliant? Amen. I have in my billfold an American Express credit card. Now, you have to pay it off every month or you lose it. You can't carry anything over. I've had this card since 1962. So, I can borrow a lot of money just based upon this card. Because for all these years, I have paid my bills, and that is my record. So consequently, if I have never quit, and I know what my record is, therefore it doesn't bother me, if I want to quit. So I can say to myself, I'd just like to quit without worrying because I know I'm not going to quit. Isn't that great? Amen. Now, I've wanted to quit. I, I wanted to quit my first church in Davenport, Iowa when I had 76 of the meanest Christians you've ever seen in your life. Just to get enough inspiration to preach. I would quote that scripture, be not dismayed by their faces. They used to say little things like, we're not big, but we're spiritual. They used to say, we're, we're not big, but we're clean. 
almost clean out of business, if you know what I mean. I wanted to quit, but I didn't quit because I'm not a quitter. When I ran on my 60th birthday from Phoenix to Los Angeles, which was 436 miles, I got blisters all over my feet. I did this to raise money for the new hospital we were trying to buy. We needed a down payment. I had blisters all over my feet. When I started running, I wore a size nines and a halves. But when I got there, I was wearing twelves and a halves. My feet swelled up. My legs ached. Every bone in my body was aching. Someone said, Pastor Barnett, I, I, I know why you did that. It was the love for those little children that you're reaching in L.A. that kept you going. Now, can I be honest with you? At 5 o'clock in the morning when I'd get up to start my run, as far as I was concerned, every kid in L.A. could have gone to the booger man. I did not care. <laughs> You'll say, then, what kept you going, Pastor? It was the call. It wasn't the burden. You see, the burden will come and the burden will go. But the call of God will keep you going in adversity when the crowd is against you, when things go bad within your life. I say to people, never start a ministry base because I see them coming from all over America to the Dream Center. They have a burden to reach girls in human trafficking. About the time one of those girls spit in your face, and I don't want to be graphic, but throw up on you, or curse you, coming out of their terrible lifestyle, the burden leaves. The glamour leaves. But it's the call of God that will keep you going. Every Sunday morning, rather every Monday morning, after preaching sometimes, I spoke at one church on one Sunday in Australia six times in one day. That's right, six times in one Sunday. Every Monday morning, I say to myself, I think I'll quit. But just before I quit, I'm going to have a cup of coffee. Folks, coffee has kept me into the ministry all of these years. Until the anointing kicks in, we got coffee. Come on, say a good amen. A lot of drug addicts out here, amen. There are mornings I have to have two or three cups, amen. Yeah, I, I want to quit. Pastor, did you ever want to quit the ministry? When I was a young preacher in my 30s, I thought to myself, the burden of helping people is pretty heavy. You have to deal with people with problems and criticism and so forth. But I can tell you now that as you get older, it becomes easier. If you just hang in there and you won't quit. Pastor, have you ever felt like leaving your wife? No, no. I felt like killing her, but never leaving her. I'm a killer, not a quitter, amen. but I have literally cut the word quit out of my dictionary, literally. If you would check my dictionaries, that little word quit 
has been cut out of every one of us. So the question is, how can I keep from quitting, Pastor? Okay, I'm going to give you three ways real quick. First of all, you got to burn the bridges behind you. When you accept Christ as your Savior, you need to burn the old literature. You need to get away from those old friends that could lead you astray. You need to burn the old life and move on to the new life. Number two, how do you keep from quitting? Don't tell anybody you want to quit because they might take up on it. You can tell them after the fact. But it's been said that even rats desert a sinking ship. Pastors often say, well, if I get up and tell the audience I'm discouraged to pray for me, they'll all rally around me. Oh, no. The Bible says sometime we've got to put on joy. We cannot burden the rest of the world. We just put on the joy of the Lord. And number three, if you don't want to quit, do not expose yourself to what you don't want to be. Because you will be in the next 10 years a product of three things. Who you hang out with are number two, the places that you travel are the books that you read. And number four, if you don't want to quit, lock yourself in so you have no choice, you can't quit. A few years ago, my wife and I took a vacation to Los Angeles. And when we arrived there, we have a little place that we have kept there for years since I go backwards and forth. I picked up the newspaper and I read that that night, the Los Angeles Lakers were playing the Phoenix Suns. Now, if you don't know who the Phoenix Suns is, that's God's team. The Suns, Sons of God, amen. And if you do not know who the Lakers are, they're the team from down under. And I'm not talking about Australia either, amen. As a matter of fact, let me tell you how I feel about the Lakers. I know we got a center on the front row, Pastor Sean. He's a Laker fan. If the Lakers were playing the Taliban, I'd pull for the Taliban. That's how I feel about it, amen. <laughs> I said to my wife, honey, we're going to go see the Suns play the Lakers. No, she said, we aren't. We're going shopping. No, no, no. I said, you understand. This is special. We're going to go see this basketball game. No, she said, we're going shopping. So being the man that I was, I put my foot down as the head of the house and said, Maria, we're going to go to the basketball game. And she said, no, we're going shopping. We went, Abraham Lincoln said that he wanted to paint his house brown and his wife wanted to paint it green, so they compromised, and they painted green. Amen. <laughs> Men, we went what? Shopping. Amen. You had a lot of confidence in me back there, but I didn't quite do that. We went shopping. Why? I told her that my mind was made up, but she informed me that her heart was fixed. And there is a difference. It was David who said, my heart is fixed. I'm fixed on what God has called me to do. 
I'm fixed on making this journey count. I'm not going to quit. And so is mine. I have a staff meeting every week. And I have a little sheet that I ask him to fill out. This little sheet gives a report on what they've done during the week. How many souls did they lead to Christ? How many counseling? Right on down the line. At the bottom of it, there is a little slogan that goes this way. Great men and women are just ordinary men and women that wouldn't quit. I told you a little bit about that big anniversary we had in L.A. So they picked us up in the limousine and they took us to the service that day. And when I looked down and saw that two-block red carpet, and I saw them with thousands with signs up saying, thank you, Pastor, we love you, we love you. The first group that were shouting were the men in the discipleship. I mean, they got arms that big, as big as my thighs. And I go visit them every week when I'm over there. They're big, massive men, statues, men who were going to be in prison all their life, but the grace of God got them out. And now they're red hot for Christ, and I give them a hit on the shoulder. If they hit back, I have a scripture, don't touch the anointed, amen. <laughs> and these big old men were just weeping, tears streaming down their cheeks. Pastor, we love you. Thank you. Thank you for coming to L.A. Thank you for telling us about Jesus. We walked a little further, and there were the women that were in discipleship. These are women that when they came, their, most of their teeth had either been knocked out by evil, abusive men or drugs. They needed to weigh their teeth. And when you address them, they'd always put their head over their mouth and put their head down. They were terrible shape. But we love them. And I go visit them every week. We have given them all pearly white teeth now. They found Jesus Christ and the same women that shirked away lined up to get a hug from the old preacher. I walked a little further and there were those young men and women that were found in streets, sleeping in boxes, sleeping under vidocs, sleeping in the brush, sleeping in those tents. You've seen them. Many of them had come to be movie stars, but their money ran out. And some pimp found them and told them that he would take care of them. And the next thing they knew, they were on the street prostituting. But at midnight, every Friday night, with 60 people from the Dream Center, how would you like to start your ministry at midnight? They go out armed only with an armful of red roses. And they find these little girls, 15, 16, 17, all used up, depressed, used up by evil men. And they give them a rose. And they say, this rose represents the rose of Sharon. And you're as beautiful as this rose. And then we tell them the story of how Jesus loved them and came to die for them and ask them if they'd like to accept Christ a great percent of them said yes. And then we say, would you like to get away from this lifestyle? And their little faces light up. 
And they said, yes. We said, okay. We'll take you to a place that you can get your GED. We'll get you on your feet. You can stay as long as you want to. We'll protect you from your pimp. Let's go right now. We'll take you. And suddenly fear comes on that little girl's face. And she said, no, that's my pimp over there. And he'll kill you and kill me. We say, but if you mean business, stand right on this corner. And we'll be back in just a minute. And our limousine will, not our limousine, we'll pull by in our automobile and we'll open the door and you jump in and we'll save you. So a few minutes later, we come by with our van. We slide the door open. She jumps in. We take off. And the old pimp takes off after us in his car. And the race is on. But what that old pimp doesn't know is we call ahead at the Dream Center. And we've got about 60 men in discipleship that are just out of prison and barely saved. Amen. I mean, sometimes you got to go gangster. Come on, say a good amen. Gangsters for God. Amen. I mean, we've got everything at the Dream Center. We've got pimps. We got human girls coming out of human traffic. We got drug addicts. We got people out of prison. And that's just the pastoral staff. Amen. <laughs> and we never see that old pimp again. And these little kids are beginning to scream and cry. We love you, preacher. By now, I'm a mess. But we walk into the auditorium. If you haven't been to Angela's Temple, it has two balconies. Three balconies. Well, two more balconies. It seats about 5,000 people, and it's jammed with people with signs. Everybody has signed. We love you. Thank you, Pastor. And they're screaming and cheering and jumping up and down. And I looked over at my wife, and mascara is pouring down her face. She looked like the grapes of wrath. I mean, it was terrible. <laughs> and immediately, my mind went back to when I met her in Palo Alto, California. I was holding a revival, and when I gave the invitation, this beautiful woman walked in that I later found out was from Sweden. She'd only been here a week. She'd come to fly for Scandinavian Airlines, and she came to the altar. And I felt led to pray with her. Amen. Thank God. The compassionate guy that I am. Amen. I continued that revival for three months. Really, the longest I'd ever stayed at any city. And at the end of three months, I said to her, forget Scandinavian Airlines and come fly with me. Amen. And her and I went throughout the country but it was very difficult for her. You see, women at that time, there was heavy demand upon them. They couldn't wear makeup or it was pretty rough on pastor's wives. And she was a new Christian. So we decided it'd be good for me to go in my dad's church and help him for a couple of years and let her get adjusted. And while we were there, one morning, I came down to go to work. You see, the church couldn't pay me hardly anything. 
So I trimmed trees in the morning. That's a hard job. In the afternoon, I worked at an oil store. And at night, I did the ministry. On the morning, I was leaving. And standing at the door was my wife. She had a suitcase. I said, where are you going? She said, Tommy, I love you. And this breaks my heart. But I'm a millstone around your neck. I'm not helping you out. I, I'm a hindrance to you. Oh, I said, no, you're not. People love you. you. And I just tried to build her up. But finally, I could not. I drove her to the airport. I watched the plane take off. And all my dreams and hopes seemed to go astray. It was the worst day of my life. And I, at night, I was laying in bed, but I could not sleep. When suddenly the phone rang. And it was Maria. She said in her Swedish accent, told me, I think I made a terrible mistake. Can I come home? And I watched the plane land. We went out in the car, and before I started the motor, we joined our hands together, and we prayed this way. Dear God, we're going to make this work. We're not going to quit. For better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health. We're going to make this work. And as I looked at my wife, that massacre pouring down as she wept, as the thousands of people were cheering, she walked over and put her arms around me and she whispered in my ear, Tommy, I'm so glad we didn't quit. You see, if we'd have quit, there wouldn't have been a Matthew. There wouldn't have been an L.A. If we'd have quit, there wouldn't have been a Dream City Church like it is today. For there wouldn't have been a Luke. There wouldn't be a ministry to human trafficking girls if it had been for our daughter, Christy. And some of you are saying in your heart, Pastor, I'm glad you didn't quit. Then, don't you quit. Don't you quit on that husband. Don't you quit on that wife. Don't you quit on those children. Don't you quit on those parents. Don't you quit on your church. Don't you quit on your God. Because... When you are down and out in, in sin and blaspheme and cursing, when others had given up on you, God has never quit on you. So look at this way just a minute. I believe there are people in this building that were sent here for this night. Maybe you've quit on God. Maybe you're in a backslidden condition. Maybe you never gave your life to Jesus Christ. And you look up here tonight and you see an old guy, 85, that can't wait to get up in the morning. There's so much future and so much dream that's still in this old heart. And you're healthy and young. You got a mind as clean as, as a lawyer, 
as keen as a lawyer. You got a body as strong as an athlete. But you have no reason to get up when the alarm goes off. No future, no peace, and no joy. And folks, there's not a worse time for me to come and be here at this time of the year than right now with my schedule. But I felt let God go. Go to this place. And God sent me here for you. There's a specific person in this building. Maybe it's about to quit on God. Or you've never given God a chance in your life. This is your night. And when the waters are troubled, that's when you need to move. So while every head is bowed, and every eye is closed. I'm going to ask everyone in this building to raise your hand. He'll say, Pastor, thank you for that message. Thank you for delivering. I'm so glad that God sent you here tonight. And Pastor, I'll be honest with you. I'm not satisfied that I know God. I don't have the peace of God. Pastor, I don't have that dream. I want the life that you spoke about, Pastor. Would you please pray for me? And in just a minute, I'm going to ask everyone in this building to raise your hand. He'll say, Pastor, will you just pray for me? And when I ask you to do that, I want to ask you to put your hand up. You see, I pray better when I know who I'm praying for. Only God will know who I, you are, and you will know, and I will. But I'm going to pray with you. And this could be the greatest day of your life right here between Thanksgiving and Christmas when the great God of Christmas will come into your life. So while every head is bowed and every eye is closed, I'm going to count to the number three to give you time to think it over. And when I come to three, I want every man, lay or boy, girl, to raise your hand. He'll say, Pastor, I need God in my life now. I need him bad would you just pray for me? This is your night. I believe hands are going to go up all over this building from the left to the right to the front to the rear of this building. Are you ready? One, get ready. Two, when I say three, put it up high. Are you ready? Three, all over this building. Oh, keep raising them. My goodness. Keep raising. There got to be 74. Keep raising. Five people raise their hand at least. Keep raising them. The Holy Spirit is doing a work right now. Okay. But it's not enough to raise your hand. You may put them down. The Bible said we must confess with our mouth that we're a sinner, that we need Christ, that we need to be forgiven. So I'm going to ask everybody that raised their hands while every head is bowed. I'm going to ask you to repeat with me this prayer. And I want the Christians, are you ready? to join in with them, to encourage them. I don't want some little quiet prayer. I want everybody to just boom it out. For it was for this moment that Christ died on the cross for our sins. Are you ready? Everybody loud and clear together, repeat with me, dear God, I need a Savior. I need forgiveness. You said, dear God, if I would ask you that you would forgive me, and I ask you, God, please forgive me. 
You said you would. And I believe you, Lord. And tonight I accept you as my personal Savior. So I'm just going to raise my hands right now, God. Go ahead, put them up, everyone. And I want to praise you for what you've done. Why don't we just lift our voices, if you feel comfortable, and just say, thank you, Jesus, and begin to praise him. Could I hear a hum of praise all over this audience? We praise you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I think now we just need to give the Lord the biggest clap offering and praise that we've ever given in this church. I want it loud. Come on, give the Lord a good praise. Come on, shout to the Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening today. If you'd like to find out more about Church on the Move, like our service times, or how you can connect with us, you can visit cotmroswell.com.